This podcast is supported by the Rebecca Vassi Trust, a UK-based charity which promotes the art of narrative photography through granting bursary awards to up-and-coming photographers and funding public education projects like this one. This podcast has full editorial independence, and the views expressed in this series are not necessarily those of the Trust. Welcome to Season 2 of the Photoethics Podcast. I'm your host, Savannah Dodd, and I'm the founder of the Photography Ethics Center. Each week, I'll be talking with an accomplished photographer about the ethics of their practice. Today, in episode number nine, we'll be talking with Malika Vora on complicating human narratives. Malika Vora is a documentary photographer based in Mexico City. She believes in a visual journalistic practice rooted in a deep commitment to human dignity that challenges the viewer to question their value judgments of different intersections of society. Malika is a member of Diversify Photo and Women Photograph, and she's on the faculty at the International Center of Photography's Documentary Photography and Photojournalism Program. She holds a BFA in Photography and Imaging from NYU Tisch, her clients include The New Yorker, Vogue, and The Los Angeles Times. Can we start by you just telling us a little bit about the kind of work that you do? So I'm a documentary photographer. I've been based in Mexico City for the last four years, pretty much. And before that, I worked in New York City for another eight years before that, I would say. So it's been a little bit of time, but I still feel like I'm starting out. And I would say that instead of a more breaking news approach to photojournalism, that I'm more of a long-term documentary photographer. That's generally the word that I use. Although I am an assignment photographer, I would say I'm more documentary than photojournalism necessarily. And I've been... Spending the last few years, I think, really focusing a lot on response, aftermath, and healing after trauma, violence, and conflict, in addition to looking at communities and families as microcosms of society. I think that those are my two main focuses, often overlapping, I think, but that's what really has drawn my attention. That's really interesting. I'm wondering if you could unpick a little bit. You started by saying that you view yourself more as like a long-term documentary photographer as opposed to, yeah, like maybe photojournalist. Can you maybe unpick a little bit? What are the differences in practice and how is that meaningful in your work? I think it speaks to my process and being transparent in my process because I think that the photojournalist job is Specifically in relation to assignments, you're told what you need to do, where you need to go, when you need to deliver the pictures, how many pictures need to be delivered. So there's like a very clear directive and you have to follow directions. And I think that I don't do well when being told too many <laughs> of those directions. <laughs> I will follow them, but I'll try and make it my own as much as possible. Which is not necessarily what is needed for a breaking news situation. 
or something where things need to be turned around very quickly because my time is very essential to my process. So even if I have an assignment, if possible, I will ask for more time to work on it or else do as much research beforehand. And it will generally be the type of thing where something has happened, reporting has already happened by a writer, they've spent a lot of time on it, or we've researched it together. And then we go and spend at least a few days with people, or they've been previous trips where photos weren't taken. But just so that the level of familiarity is there, that they're already aware of what's happening, and that there's already a rapport that's been established so that they feel more comfortable, everyone's more comfortable, and the pictures feel more uh, genuine and more accurate to what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that, you know, element of time is something that keeps coming up in so many of these interviews that I'm doing. You know, the importance of time, time scarcity, and how people are having to ask for more time and advocate for more time for their own work when on assignment. How do you advocate for more time to do a project? And have you found that generally that's been quite well received? Or do you feel like that's been kind of a tough ask? I think generally the types of stories that I'm focusing on aren't time sensitive. So because there's not the element of it being like, this story broke today, we need the pictures today. Outside of that, there's a lot more flexibility. So For example, like if a publication has the flexibility to publish something later and to push it back, which is something that I know a lot of photographers and journalists have to deal with often as they work on something and it's supposed to come out and then it's delayed and delayed. So if the publication themselves have that flexibility, then why not? Can we have the extra flexibility to say like, well, this will need another week spent or however long. I mean, the question is also like, how many days will they pay for? But I think to get around that, what I've normally done is started taking pictures in advance and then pitch the story and then the pitch is accepted. And then maybe they need me to go back and fill in the gaps or something. Or it starts off already being a long form pitch in which they're like, okay, like you have three days to shoot this plus like a travel day. And that's what you got. And you just make it work. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, I guess. And especially if you're like doing a lot of work in communities and in places that you have already, like you said, established the rapport. You already have the relationships. You already have sort of a baseline understanding of also what the issues are and what's going on. No, that makes a lot of sense. Was there a moment when you were working and you realized that like this sort of ethical, more long form way of working really was what you wanted to do? Or like, did that come about quite naturally? Or was there sort of a moment of reckoning? Or or how, how did your practice sort of develop in that way? That's a really good question. I think that that part of my practice came instinctively. When I was a kid, I went to a Montessori school. And One of the Montessori principles is that you start something, you take your time, you focus on it, and then you finish it. And then you don't do other stuff in between. And that's almost like a pathology for me at this point where like, 
I don't think I've ever finished a project. Like, I don't think a story's ever really over. But for that reason, like, if something really grabs a hold of me, I'll just spend as much time as I feel like on it as I feel is necessary. When I started out photographing, I went to the Tisch School of Photography at NYU, and it was my first black and white photography class I'd ever taken. And for that class, the entire semester, every single day, I would go to this one auto shop in Brooklyn, and I would hang out with them all day long for six months. And I created a body of work out of it, and I loved it. I loved every part of doing that, being somewhere every single day, like a lot of time spent without having the camera in front of me at all. Like a lot of time just spent like looking and listening. And I think that that is just as important to a photographic process as actually taking the pictures. There's like so much that goes on before and after the shutter is clicked. Mm. That's always been really fascinating to me. I feel like that's a really important point, but I feel like it's also one that sometimes makes people a bit uncomfortable. The idea of having to maybe like spend time away from the camera or put the camera down and like lay the groundwork. I don't know if if you have sensed that or if you've come across that in your own work, but I guess I'm wondering like what kinds of advice or what kinds of things do you think are necessary to do without the camera? How do you do that if it's maybe not someone's natural way of being? I think there are some photographers who are just more comfortable with a camera in hand, you know? And so if Absolutely. It's, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, also like, I think I've heard this said in other interviews that you did too, that a, a lot of people found documenting as a way to connect to people and as a way to like almost like provide a reason for people to want to talk to them and to be a part of the world in that way. And I definitely found that for me as well. But after having done it, how do I put this? It's like trust is established not when the picture is being taken, but in between the moments that the picture is being taken. And I really value that. And to also display some vulnerability and some willingness to share of yourself in the moment that someone else is, I think is really, really important. And you can't really do that when you're like also trying to take the picture. Like sometimes it takes putting the camera down, looking someone in the eye and telling them something really personal. That's a part of being human. That's a part of letting someone know that like you're right there with them and you feel what they feel and you two know what pain feels like, or you two know what it means to like be vulnerable. And then in those moments, that trust is built. And then after those moments, then the photos happen. Mm. So I think that's a really beautiful way of describing that. Absolutely. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. And you said that you are working on quite a lot of work that has to do with you know, as you said, vulnerable or sensitive subjects in terms of the aftermath of trauma, I believe you said, and some, you know, quite, yeah, delicate and sometimes hard to access themes, right? How do you do that? And how do you approach something that's maybe 
a traumatic history of someone in an ethical and sensitive way? What's your process for that? Normally when I'm working on stories like this, especially that are for publication, I have the great fortune of working with a writer who conducts interviews. And so to have someone else to bounce off, so it's not just a me and the subjects binary, there's like another person in the mix and it's more like a group dynamic. And I find that it kind of makes things a little less tense for everyone in general. Specifically, I'm thinking about a story I did for The New Yorker in late 2019. Um, it was published in the middle of last year. And it's about women in the state of Sinaloa in Mexico whose loved ones have been disappeared for one reason or another. And they're searching for the bodies of their loved ones. And I remember working on that story with a phenomenal writer and she had already spent a lot of time doing research, going every weekend and spending time with the women. She had already been on a search with them. So she kind of knew what the deal was. So like when she was around, the comfort level was already a lot higher, which made it my job a lot easier. And again, like it came back to, even though I only had three days to shoot the story and there was like multiple shoots, portrait sessions that I had to do every day, Still, like the first half hour was just us getting to know each other and them feeling a little more comfortable. And then we would go into like the photo taking sessions or whatever. So, yeah, stealing as much time as possible for people's comfort level to be where they should be. I think that that's a great point that you made as well about like working with a writer and about how how you position that, that like it's less of a binary than it's more of like a group collaborative dynamic when you're working in a team. I can imagine that working in a team can also present some challenges as well in some situations. Like, I guess in particular, I'm thinking about like, have you ever been in a situation where, especially maybe when working on, you know, stories dealing with trauma, when people have different ethical approaches because I think that can be quite difficult to navigate if people are sort of coming at something from different perspectives. Or has that not been something that you've really encountered? Has everybody pretty much been on the same page? So far, so good in that regards. But that it makes all the difference. Like you said, it also made a difference that the editor was on the same page as the both of us as well. And what was established at the very, very beginning was by the editor themselves was like, you know, I know you know this already, but I need to say this, is that the safety of the subjects is most important. Their dignity is the most important. Their comfort is the most important. The pictures will come, but if we focus on that as being the priority in our process, then the pictures themselves will be what they need to be and mm. will say what they need to say. Yeah, absolutely. I should get them on the the podcast as well. That's a that's a brilliant a brilliant yeah. way to to approach absolutely. a story. It's worth mentioning that both the writer and the editor in that situation are women and young women who I think are often people who are pushing that standard further and further. Yeah. 
Absolutely. No, I think that's definitely been a theme that I've seen as well, for sure. And, you know, I think that the point as well about, you know, ethical processes take more time, but they can also result in a much richer and more interesting visual record. And it reminds me, I think, of the thing that you have on your website, sort of on the homepage. Don't you have something about complicating human narratives, right? And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what you mean when you say that you're complicating narratives and what that looks like. What I'm hoping to do, when I say that I seek to complicate narratives, I want to kind of break past any assumptions that a person looking at the photograph might have about the person in the photograph. And that's a that's a big ask. And I think that through following an ethical process can lead to building empathy through the photographic process. That's one part of it. The other part of complicating narratives, I think, is that I think the job of the artist or the journalist or the visual storyteller is to critique power. So I think that complicating a narrative means complicating a narrative that has been handed to us by power that we then have to subvert in order to start creating change in society. So it's two things that are part of the same thing in this interesting way. Absolutely. And can you give us an example? I don't know. I know that's kind of a a tall order as well, isn't it? Can you give us an example of sort of how do you subvert power in a single photograph or in a photo story? Like, what does that look like when you're maybe conceiving of a a photo project or how you're going to approach a certain group of people? To complicate a narrative or to subvert power also means being radically transparent about your intentions in creating the photo. And one thing I'm noticing a lot is that in journalism these days, people will make a political statement of some kind and then lose their job immediately. And I think that that creates this environment where we can't be fully honest about why we're making the work we're making. And I think that also allows us to have our work be sucked into whatever agenda the paper has or the publication has or wherever the photo ends up in this way that's, I think, unethical because whatever intention that you established with the person in the photograph or with the the subjects that you're documenting, you're, as a storyteller, trying to do your best to respect that and to honor that. And so then when you kind of have to sort of create this another layer of secrecy or like obfuscation in the name of objectivity, and then then it's dishonest. And then it furthers the narrative that the powers that be think is convenient to perpetuate. But how to do that in a photograph is a good question. It's one that I'm still trying to figure out. (laughs) But I think a good example to talk about is protest photography. And I know that's something that you've also talked about a lot in your other interviews. But, for example, I think that there's a way 
Okay, so in the spirit of radical transparency, I think that often the narrative of peaceful protest is counterproductive and is a controlling of the narrative and kind of takes away the reasons people have for, say, symbolic destruction of property or for clashes against the police. And so through that belief of mine, the way that I photograph protests, what I like to focus on isn't necessarily the quote-unquote violent protester being the aggressor, but being the aggressed upon. Because that is the whole point of their protest, is that they're facing power and they're facing the forces of the state or whoever else, and they don't have power and trying to reclaim that power in that context. But then a media narrative is like, oh, like so-and-so like defaced this statue or, you know, took down this wall or whatever it is. And they are the ones creating the aggression. When really what they're trying to say is that in the government's eyes, this property is more important than my life. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's a really, a really useful example for sure. And I feel like there's so much in what you said as well that we could unpack. I think there's, you know, a lot of really useful things to think about. One thing that is sort of immediately coming to mind is you were talking about like how journalists can't be open with their political views without losing their jobs, right? And it's quite interesting because I think that that really perpetuates that myth of objectivity, right? That like, oh, everybody who works here is totally objective and objectivity, what is that, right? Like that is, I think, such a fallacy and such a myth that it is quite, I think, harmful, like you're saying. I think that talking about objectivity is one of the most interesting conversations that's happening today in journalism. And I think that it is happening simultaneously with this idea of inclusivity and widening the amount of voices that are happening in journalism. And so when you have a chorus of voices, all of those voices are allowed to have different opinions and perspectives. And that creates like a multifaceted truth that feels way more real than a single voice claiming to have one single truth. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like the truth that has been traditionally accepted as the single truth is a very exclusive view on truth that is predominantly from the perspective of white journalists and of men. And I think it's a massive conversation that is definitely unfolding. And I think this, the, the connection between representation and objectivity, like you said, I think it's a really interesting area. I also wanted to pick up on something that you were saying about like radical transparency that I think is really interesting that I think that requires a lot of vulnerability. And this is something I probably harp on a little too much. Can you speak to that a little bit, maybe to that connection and how you see those two things coming together? I think it works in a number of ways, like using the two examples that I gave you before. In protest photography, I think it is much more useful when presenting that story for people to know that I'm 
a sympathetic journalist in that place. Like, I am documenting these feminist protests because I am also a feminist and I support what they're doing. And I think that that honesty is absolutely necessary, one, to understand the pictures themselves, and two, to understand the context that I'm creating for them. And then in regards to transparency with subjects, I mean, it's not fair if they don't know where the picture is going, why you're taking the picture, who you are when you're taking this picture, because their image ultimately belongs to them. And so if I am trying to do something in collaboration with them, which is create an image together, it's not me taking the image from them. It's us making the image together. They need to know who I am just as much I need to know who they are. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think that that makes complete sense. And I feel like there is a lot of times this assumption that happens that like, you know, almost who we are as image makers coming in to tell the story is almost taken for granted that, you know, we were these people and we're here and we're going to do this thing and tell this story and almost a, a lack of a recognition that we too need to explain ourselves and explain who we are in relation to this and why we're doing this. Exactly. That definitely resonates because that goes back to the like traditional journalistic perspective that one just has to write to like march up to someone and take a photograph and walk away and then make money on the photograph and the photograph is everywhere. Like, I think we're done with that at this point. So mm. I guess going back to the question about objectivity, I'm a little bit interested in maybe thinking about, right, okay, if we can all agree, maybe people who are photographers, that objectivity is sort of on its way out as a concept within journalism or storytelling. And maybe we can get photo editors and, you know, organizations, media organizations in general on board with that. Cool. Like, do you think that people who are viewing photographs and consuming the news, do you think that they're open to that idea that actually the people producing the news are not objective? I think that they already know that. I mean, how many times are we saying like, oh, blah, 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 the failing New York Times or whatever, or like this one is like a conservative rag or like that one is like, you know, some communist, whatever, whatever. So we already know that there's implicit political bias in all of our news, but it would be refreshing for them to actually acknowledge it rather than pretend like it's not happening. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. So maybe the barrier lies more with the news organizations than anything else. I think what's interesting is that the business of news has, it's always been convenient for them to both have political leanings while simultaneously not acknowledging them. But now I think people are so heavily politicized or polarized or whatever you want to call it that, I don't know, it'll probably be good for business. <laughs> In any case, people are kind of moving away from these organizations now. And like we see that with the growth of Substack and other like subscription models for independently generated journalism. And I guess looking back, sort of turning back to your own career and sort of where you've come from and where you're going. Is there anything that you look back on 
and you wish that you'd done differently or maybe something that you learned a lot from that you'd like to share? I think that navigating ethical concerns is very complicated because I think sometimes it's important to not take the picture, but also I think sometimes it's important to take the picture and then spend the time deciding whether to publish it or not, or whether it's ethical to show the picture. Because this is a bit morbid, but every photograph is a photograph of someone who will one day be dead. And so maybe that photograph is a memory that someone will have the chance to have. So even if a photograph doesn't have a journalistic value or may not be ethical to show to the wider public, it might be useful for someone who's lost someone and has that memory to hold on to. So I think that my biggest regret are moments in which someone has maybe been sick and I didn't want to take a picture of them in a hospital bed or whatever the reason may be, not wanting them to be remembered as being vulnerable, but then later on they passed on and I don't have any pictures to offer. So yeah, navigating that utility of photography as well as photography is like memorializing. I think that's something I continuously navigate. And I think what I'm learning is that the differentiation between Taking a photo in the moment and deciding later or deciding not to take the photo should be dependent on the immediate safety of the person and it's complicated. It's subjective. There's no blueprint for this. Every person will navigate it differently, so we just have to try our best. Mm. I think that's a really interesting example, though, that you've shared, and I think that's a really useful distinction that you sort of set for yourself as well. Like you said, different people will set different, maybe red lines for what they're comfortable with or not comfortable with or how they make those decisions. But I think that's really interesting, a really interesting approach to set the decision that like, maybe it's about people's actual personal safety in the moment. I think that can be a very useful tool to think about for navigating through different dilemmas. Do you have anything else like that? Like any other things like that that you've thought through and you're like, well, that's going to be maybe the deciding factor for me. I think also it's important to acknowledge, again, in the spirit of radical transparency, that it would be lying to say that there isn't sometimes a voice in my head that would be like, this would be a really iconic, like famous photo because it's like really intense and like X, Y, and Z. And I think a lot of photographers have that voice. And I think that voice is often trying to convince you to do something unethical. In the situation where I was photographing the women on the search, they had found a body. They were digging it up. I had a choice to make. Do I photograph with the body in the picture or do I turn around and I look at them And the story is truly about them. It's not about the body. And so that makes it more ethical in terms of the truthfulness. That makes it more ethical in terms of respecting that person who had died. And just more honest in general. And honestly, more interesting. Because I think it's like a more masculine approach to like, let's go for the gruesome thing. 
but it's a more feminine approach to be like, but how is this affecting everybody around it? So kind of, I think if there's a devil on your shoulder, ignore them. I think, <laughs> I think that's, that's really, I think it's such an interesting example, but I think that's such a useful thing to hear because even yeah, on this podcast, um, other photographers have talked about that, having that voice and feeling like, yeah, like, oh, I could do this and it could be really good. And I could, you know, this is, this is, could be my ticket to winning that award, but then sort of dealing with that and deciding, well, hmm, do I do it? Do I not do it? I think that that's something that is definitely relatable for people. And I think what you said about like, instead of photographing the body, but photographing the women who were involved in the recovery of the body, I think that that's such an interesting and such a good point that actually the interest in that story is about them. That sort of connects to a question about how do we tangibly, practically represent trauma ethically or with dignity or with a view of focusing on healing? What advice would you have? to photographers on how to do that? Focus on all of the moments, not just the darkest ones, but all of them. Because especially when you're regarding something like grief, it's not just a one-note feeling, right? When you're grieving, there's moments in which you remember this person that meant so much to you, and you laugh at things that they said, or... You sing a song that reminds you of them or there's just all of these different moments. So you have to let yourself be surprised by how people manage their trauma and don't present what you expect them how to manage their trauma. Let them surprise you and just regard every moment as important in telling that story. Because even if someone's just taking a break from telling their story and, you know, maybe they're done crying and they're just like, you know, drinking a Coca-Cola or like having a snack or something, that's also part of the process as well. And sometimes it's those moments that are the most overlooked that say the most. Yeah. What does photography ethics mean to you? Ethics is where a bunch of really cool things kind of come together. Those really cool things being transparency, safety, consent, context, and kind of removing yourself from authorship in a certain way as well. Like I think that the biggest challenge, especially the way that the media landscape is structured is claiming ownership over images and who has ownership and basically this problem of property, right? But when you really think about it, the person in the picture, it's their picture. It's not your picture, it's their picture that they allowed to happen. And so I think acknowledging that and I think moving in a way that honors that is a way to truly move in a way that is ethical. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Photoethics Podcast. The aim of this podcast is to share new insights about photography ethics with others. So if you heard something you liked, 
please share this podcast with someone who would appreciate it. The links to all things mentioned in this episode are available in the show notes at www.photoethics.org. Join me next week when we hear from Aaron Turner on abstraction and identity. If you're enjoying this podcast, why don't you check out our online courses? We've developed a series of three online courses designed specifically for photojournalists and documentary photographers. We discuss questions like, how do we achieve accuracy in our photographs? What's the relationship between power and consent? And when, if ever, should we intervene? These online courses come with perks, like access to an online community group for discussion and Q&A opportunities with me, the course leader. Enroll today at www.photoethics.thinkific.com or go to www.photoethics.org and click online courses. This podcast was edited by Ellie Gascoigne.